I want to thank you all for being here. It's humbling to, to know you chose to be here. I know you're tired. I know the work days get long, and yet here you are. And it's an encouragement to have somebody to look at when I look out. <laughs> Will you please go with me to the book of Daniel and chapter 6? We need to pick up where we left off in our Wednesday night series through the book of Daniel. The previous two messages have come from verses 1 through 5. The Medo-Persian Empire has taken over the Babylonians, and Darius is now in control over the realm of what was formerly Babylon. As Darius organizes his government, he sets 120 princes over the whole kingdom, and he places three presidents in charge of those 120, most likely this was divided into 120 provinces, and each president would have had 40 provinces under their control. And then over those, over all of that, Daniel being one of the three presidents, he's over all of the 122 others. And so Darius places Daniel in charge because he sensed that he had an excellent spirit. And he, the Bible says he, he's over the whole realm and we considered how Daniel started well, and now we find Daniel ending well. And the emphasis was, if we want to be found faithful living for God tomorrow, we need to start living for God today. Amen. And we have to put forth some effort. We're not just going to magically wake up and be a better Christian. We have to be in the Word. We have to be faithful. We have to walk with God. We have to take action. The other leaders below Daniel, they don't like how Darius has chosen a Hebrew-Judean captive to run things. They especially don't like the fact that Daniel worships the living God, the only true God, and that he doesn't participate in their idolatry. And so they are united against him. They conspire against him. They look for an error. They look for a fault. And they can find nothing. And so therefore they conclude the only way we can get something against Daniel is if we can find something as it pertains to the law of his God. And so in order to find something wrong with Daniel, they're going to have to manufacture a fault. And we considered how they are conspiring without a cause. Daniel has done nothing wrong. But still they hate Daniel. And at the heart of it is their disdain for Daniel's God. The Lord was not just another God to Daniel. He was the God. And that's the difference. And this brings us to where we left off. Look with me please in chapter 6 and we'll begin in verse 6. Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion, sorry, I'm in verse 4. Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. In other words, how he conducts his business. But they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, 
except we find in him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man shall, that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law, the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king that Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statue which the king established may be changed. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. So we, we find these princes and presidents, they've conspired together to use their government to their advantage to pass a law that they know Daniel will have to disobey in order for him to retain his integrity with his God. And so we find one of the dangers of corrupted government. According to God's word, the purpose of government is to punish evildoers, not punish men like Daniel. Romans 13, 3 through 5, for rulers are not a terror of good works, but to evil. In other words, those who do good ought not to have to fear government, but those who do evil should. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, it says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evil doers and for the praise of them that do well. And so clearly, government has been ordained by God to punish those who do evil. You may recall from our Sunday morning series through Genesis a while back in chapter 9, 
how God first established government for the purpose of this exact thing, to punish those who would hurt other people. Uh, it says in Genesis 9-6, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. But what happens when a government becomes corrupt? Instead of evildoers being punished, those who do good are punished. When a government becomes corrupt, that which is good is called evil. And that which is evil is called good. When a government becomes corrupt, laws end up being passed which will make believers have to choose, do I follow God's law or do I break man's law? And the fact of the matter is we're seeing all of these things come to pass in our nation today. And we must be a people of prayer. Let's not forget it wasn't that long ago when many in our nation had to choose between obeying God's command to assemble or disobeying man's law and to go ahead and assemble. Now, thankfully, we didn't face that here in Rapid City. I am thankful for that. But those who were uh, under that kind of an order, we saw, we saw preachers being arrested. All for holding a church service. At a time when you would think churches would be deemed essential for God's people to gather so they can cry out to God corporately for His mercy. A time when our nation should have turned to God as a whole... Churches were deemed unessential. It was a reminder that we don't battle flesh and blood, but we we battle spiritual wickedness in high places. There is an infiltration of government. We see it throughout the Bible. And, And it was a sad reminder of how much our government has forsaken God. If you think Christians have no place in public office, think again. Now, I thank God for every believer that serves in office, and I pray God will be merciful to us and raise up some more godly leaders to steer our country in a direction it needs to be going. And obviously, that's politically. We have to do our part spiritually. And I could stay on this thought all night, but you're already tired, amen? And that'll just drone you to death. So Daniel's being forced to choose between remaining faithful to pray to God or disobey the laws of man. And it's the age-old question, is there ever a time that it's okay for us to disobey our government? And the answer, of course, is yes. Anytime the laws of man cause us to break our conscience with God, we are duty-bound to continue to follow God. When Peter and John were arrested and commanded by the council not to speak or teach at all in Jesus' name, they replied, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. (laughs) For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And when the apostles were all arrested, they, they told the council, We ought to obey God rather than men. And let's not forget how in chapter 3, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael told the king, Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Well, in verse 7, these corrupted government officials tell the king, all the leaders in the kingdom have consulted together, and we should be reminded of Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together 
against the Lord and against His anointed. But they are lying to the king. They're saying we've all consulted together. They didn't consult with Daniel. Amen? So they're lying right off the bat here. And they want this royal decree established that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of the O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. And the flattering of the king worked. They want this sign, so they butter up to the king. King, you're so awesome. You know what? We should have a 30-day period where nobody can pray to anything or anyone but you. Yeah, now that I think about it. (laughs) Psalm 5 and verse 9, it says, For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. Well, in the king's vanity, he falls victim to their flattery. And I want to warn us right here to be careful how we receive praise. Don't let it get to your head. There's a real good chance you're not as awesome as they're making you out to be. And so you have to be on guard when the flatteries come. Because once you allow flattery in, you may become tempted to withhold truth from those who have praised you. It could be just like getting the praise, and it could be I just don't want to destroy this relationship or maybe hinder it, whatever hurt that relationship. And this is how preachers can end up watering down the Word of God. There have been topics we come to as we are going through the Word of God that I know is going to rub someone the wrong way, and then I have to decide which is more important, please man or please God. By the grace of God, I can say like Paul did in Acts 20, 27, that I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. You know, Moses said in Deuteronomy 4, 5, Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgment, even as the Lord God commanded me. David said in Psalm 40 and verse 9, I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. But any time you give truth, you'll end up losing some of those who were once flattering to you. So you have to learn to take flattery sometimes with a grain of salt. In fact, I... I have to fight not being cynical about it. We recently had someone here that joined our church, and man, the the praise was just great. And the things that were said about me, I would be embarrassed to repeat them. They were so over the top. Like, I mean, I'm I'm it. I'm it. And and I knew at that moment this isn't going to end well. Of course, I kept my mouth shut, and I just said thank you. And sure enough, less than three months later, they were gone. How many times I've heard people say how much they like being here. We love having you as our pastor just to see them leave, and they never even talk to me. So come to find out, they really didn't think that highly of me at all. I was their preacher, not their pastor. And it's heartbreaking how often this kind of thing is the case. I'm just saying pray for me because I do get kind of cynical about it. But be careful when someone flatters you and praises you because it might not be genuine. Some people, unfortunately, have an angle. You know what I mean? They're, they're after something. But Now, don't get me wrong. I like hearing positive feedback, so you don't have to come beat me up. <laughs> I do that enough on my own. But I, 
I like knowing that the hours of study are appreciated. I like knowing if God spoke to you through the preaching of his word. But we just got to be careful not to let stuff puff us up, but stay humble in the sight of the Lord because he said if we'll stay humble before him, he'll lift us up. So back to our text here, Darius allowed their flatteries to go to his head. He established a decree that anyone who disobeyed by calling upon any god over the next 30 days would be cast into the den of lions. And as you may recall, as we were going through Esther under the Persian Empire, same under the Medo-Persians, once a decree is issued, that's it. It cannot be changed. It cannot be altered. That's weird, isn't it? Could you imagine if the interstate speed limits were still 55? <laughs> well, we signed a decree. Good night. Change it. We can't. Um, okay. Now, have you ever considered what this said about how they viewed the worship of their gods? I found that interesting as I was just pondering on this. Were their gods not worthy to be called upon for a month? <laughs> you see, the pagans of this world can live without their gods. But the true child of God cannot live without their Lord. And what we see in this is how the false gods of this world, they don't offer a relationship. And that's what we need. It's, they don't have a living faith like we have. And we sing, I need thee every hour. And they say, it doesn't matter if we hit pause. That's why the government said, hit pause on church. Do you see how their minds work? And this is how a society can end up with a plurality of gods because false gods can never satisfy the soul. And I'm sure there's a greater message in this thought, but let's keep moving. Now, what would you do in this situation? Would you remain faithful to God? Would, would you maintain your walk with God if you knew it was going to cost you your life. Are you willing to die for that? Or would you find a way of justifying putting your walk with God on hold? After all, it's only 30 days. Wouldn't God want you to live instead of dying? Wouldn't God want you to be there for your family instead of being imprisoned? Listen, God wants us to be obedient to Him. In the 1600s, there was a man named John Bunyan. Most of you know that name. He's the author of The Pilgrim's Progress. His government in England told him, you can't preach. He was a nonconformist. He wasn't going to abide by the state religion. And he said this, with God's help, I will preach whenever I get a chance. And sure enough, he was imprisoned. All told, he spent 12 years in jail for preaching the gospel. His wife was pregnant when he was arrested. And through the stress of it all, she went into labor prematurely and gave birth to a stillborn. She had to raise her four stepchildren, one of which was blind. And she was forced mostly to live off the charity of the church. And Bunyan said, oh, I saw this condition and I was a man who was pulling down his house upon the head of his wife and children. Yet I thought, I must do it. I must do it. In colonial Massachusetts, Baptists were being told 
you can't baptize believers. We've already baptized them as an infant. They don't need to be baptized again. And the Baptist said, no, you don't understand. This is believer's baptism. They were told not to baptize, and they did, and they were arrested. Some were beaten. Some worse. In colonial Virginia, Baptists were being imprisoned for preaching the gospel. For preaching the gospel. God sent a man named Patrick Henry to defend them. The three Hebrews in chapter 3 were told they'd be cast into the fiery furnace. They didn't bow and worship the false god Nebuchadnezzar had set up, but they remained faithful. What would you do if you found yourself in a similar situation? And I suppose it would be really difficult to answer. Sometimes we just don't know till we're faced with it, and it's easy to say, yeah, I'd handle this just fine. But have you given it any thought? Would you be willing to die to maintain your walk with God? Well, notice Daniel's response in verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Well, we got Daniel's answer, don't we? He would rather be found faithful to God than to put his confidence in princes. Daniel would rather die than to stop fellowshipping in prayer with his God. Daniel knew it was better to trust and obey. And Charles Spurgeon said it may be hard going forward, but it's worse to go back. Luke 14, verses 26 and 27, our Lord said, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, and yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Disciple. What is a disciple? It's not just someone who sits in a pew. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. When does one become a disciple? When they begin to act like their master. Daniel, he, he's not being obnoxious about his prayer life. He's not walking out in the middle of the street and praying as loud as he can. He, uh, let me put it this way. He's not praying for show. He's not making a show of this. Matthew 6, 5, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corner of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But while Daniel may not be out there on Main Street, he's not hiding anything either. Obviously, his enemies are going to be watching him. And what a testimony that Daniel has, that the pagans know. We need to watch him because more than likely, he's going to break this command. I mean, they're banking on it, and of course, Daniel doesn't disappoint. And where did Daniel get the idea to pray towards Jerusalem? Well, it's from the occasion of the dedication of the temple of, uh, that Solomon had built uh, when he prayed. Second Chronicles 6, verses 36 through 39 this is part of a long prayer, but he said, If they sin against thee, for there is no man which sinneth not, and thou be angry with them, and deliver them over before their enemies, 
and they carry them away captives unto a land far off or near. Yet if they bethink themselves in the land whither they are carried captive, and turn and pray unto thee in the land of their captivity, saying, We have sinned, we have done amiss, and have dealt wickedly. If they return to thee with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, whither they have carried them captives, and pray toward their land, which thou gavest unto their fathers, and toward the city which thou hast chosen, and toward the house which I have built for thy name, then hear thou from the heavens, even from thy dwelling place, their prayer and their supplications, and maintain their cause, and forgive thy people which have sinned against thee. So in reality here, Daniel is just being obedient to God's word. And he's being faithful to pray, even though he's in captivity. Listen, he's 70 years into captivity at this point. It's probably getting old, amen, but he's still going every day. And he's praying. He's praying towards Jerusalem, his homeland, and he's praying at the area where the temple once stood. And, and I would be remiss if I did not ask you tonight, how is your prayer life? Daniel had a prayer life. He didn't pray in a moment of hearing this decree and go, oh man, I better pray. No, he had a prayer life. Because it says, as he did aforetime. This is just something he did. This was part of his life, his routine. This was his, part of his walk with God. And, and don't try to say you're too busy. Nobody in here has more responsibility than Daniel had. And he found time. So how's your prayer life? And then how's your prayer posture? When's the last time you kneeled before God? This is a man in his mid-80s, he's still kneeling before God. I understand you can pray anytime, anywhere, and in any posture. I guess you could do a headstand if you wanted and pray. <laughs> Sorry, I just caught, my, caught a glimpse of myself trying to do that and pray. Um, <laughs> I know what the prayer would be. <laughs> it would not be good. But wouldn't you agree there's something about humbling yourself and kneeling before God with your head bowed? You see, that's the true attitude of worship. Worship is not what we are led to believe it is today. We often call it praise and worship. That's not Bible worship. Look it up. Bible worship is your face to the ground. It's a very humble attitude. And of course, God understands your physical limitations. You don't have to come to me and say, well, I can't physically. God knows that. And, and, and you do as, as you're able. But if you are able, I think we should make time to kneel in prayer. I think there's something to be said for that purposeful posture because I think it shows that prayer is important enough to us that we would set aside time. That we're not just praying on the way to the mailbox. In, in, that we're not just praying in, some, in the midst of some activity, but that we're actually taking time to pause our day, if you will. And we are praying to God in, in this attitude of humility. And we see that in Daniel's prayer, he's offering thanks to God. Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with bringing your needs before God. You ought to. You ought to make your wants known. You ought to make your complaints known before God. But do you take time in prayer just to thank God? Just to thank Him for who He is? And we have so much to be thankful for, it really shouldn't be that difficult. Well, I don't have much to praise Him for. Did He save you? Whoop! 
Hebrews 13, 15. By Him, by Him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Psalm 50 and verse 14, Offer unto, unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. You see, even in difficult situations, we can praise our God. We can offer up a prayer of thanksgiving even in the hard times. There's always something that we can thank Him for, for being good. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Daniel here is definitely in a bad situation. Amen. And yet, when he kneels in prayer, knowing he's going to be killed for it, he's offering thanks to his God. That's giving thanks in everything. Somebody said, it's not giving thanks for everything, but I'm giving thanks in everything. And it's amazing how our view can change when we decide to focus on good things and we just give thanks to God. In, in many instances, when we do that, we may end up realizing, you know what? I really don't have it that bad to begin with because now I see all these things that God has been good. All right, there's no way I'm going to cover these verses without feeling rushed, so why don't we pause here? <laughs> this is such a good ending, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, let me see. All right, this, this makes for a good stopping point. You'll believe it if I say it. So let me just ask you, how's your, how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Um, and I think, I think I heard Alistair Begg say once, prayer is not supplemental, it is fundamental. And I like that quote. You know, we, we should be in prayer all the time. And certainly when the difficult times arrive, that's not the time to bail on God. That's not the time to stop praying to God. And so we ought to cultivate a prayer life. And we ought to come boldly before the throne of grace. Amen. How do we do that? On the merits of Christ. He makes us worthy to come into His presence. And there at His throne, we can find grace to help in our time of need. So how's your prayer life tonight? Would you pray with me, please?